Thank you, Brother Steve, and thank you for your wonderful singing tonight. Enjoy the offertory, and it's great to be here. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I think maybe one of the uh, announcements, or maybe the announcement that Pastor Mike was going to make, um, what is maybe concerning the QR code in the bulletin? Is that it? Okay. Uh, if you look in your bulletins, which you probably don't have one with you now, but if you do, uh, you'll find a QR code inside. And that will lead you to a little suggestion card, um, kind of a virtual suggestion card. And uh, you can suggest some topics or some themes that you would like to hear preached about on Sunday nights. And so beginning next year, um, we're going to be changing a couple of things on Sunday nights. One of the things that we're going to be doing is I'm going to be giving Pastor, Pastor Wyman and Pastor Felber uh, a two or three uh, week uh, series on Sunday nights to address some of these topics. And so we'll start gathering these now when we find some common threads, um, then we'll kind of reduce that down to several series and i'll be preaching some of them and these guys will be preaching some of them and we'll be addressing so it could be hey this is something that's going on in our culture how do we as christians deal with this what's a biblical perspective and how should we respond to fill in the blank or i've always wanted to hear uh, a message or a series of messages on and maybe it's some theological uh doctrine uh in let's say in systematic theology or christian theology and you're just interested in that um, it may be something else. Um, now, uh, if you have an axe to grind or a hobby horse to ride, uh, we'll probably smell that out. And so uh, if you just want us to preach your point of view, um, then that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but if there are some sincere needs or some sincere interests um, or something, maybe there's something in your life where you've been growing spiritually and you would like some more help with that. And you think that uh, a two or three week series on a particular subject um, would be helpful. You can go to the QR code and you can fill that out. We're actually going to get some printed cards. So for those of you that are technologically challenged uh, or just don't like fooling with things like QR codes, uh, we'll make sure that we have some suggestion cards out on our Church Life Center that you can fill out anonymously and then uh, we'll get those collected and we'll begin to study through that. Uh, another thing that we're going to do on Wednesday nights, um, probably starting in February or so, um, we are going to start doing, uh, instead, well, we've been doing our Sunday night Bible Institute, but instead, we're actually going to start doing those on Wednesday nights. So we're going to do 12-week series, one in the spring, one in the fall, on Wednesday nights. So when you come in, you have teens or you have children or little ones from the nursery, they can go right to where they're supposed to go, and then you'll go to one or two classes. One will be here in the auditorium, and another will be in a place to be announced. And you can go right there uh, on Wednesday night, and for 12 weeks, we'll be systematically teaching through some things. And so we'll have different various uh, folks teaching on those subjects Wednesday nights. Like I said, we'll do 12 weeks in the spring, 12 weeks in the fall. I got some, uh, some special ideas for some things I'd like to do on some Wednesday nights and some Sunday nights this summer, but I'm going to hold on to that one as a surprise. But I think there's some, some neat things in store as far as just ministry opportunities and fellowship opportunities that we're going to enjoy coming into 2024. So please pray for us as a pastoral staff as we pray through and plan these things. Uh, we want, don't want to just do things because they're different or fresh. We want to do things because we believe that they are going to be effective in ministering to your spiritual needs, to equipping you, to encouraging you, um, to helping spur on your spiritual growth and to be able to equip you to help other believers. Um, and as we've been going even through our Acts series, uh, to equip you in sharing the gospel and helping disciples to grow. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 29 is going to be our text tonight. We're going to be looking at Moses. 
And so three things we're going to look at tonight as you're turning there. We're going to look at Moses' choice. Then we're going to look at uh, Moses' motive. And then we're going to look at Moses' faith in action. And this kind of reads, when I read through Hebrews 11, sometimes it kind of reminds me of a citation for the Medal of Honor recipients. You know, that sort of a thing. And this is the Hall of Faith. And these are, sometimes we call them heroes of faith. And, uh, you know, here's Moses who could have been, you know, maybe his coffin or his death mask would be in some dusty British museum somewhere if he would have chosen to not pursue being part of God's plan with God's redeemed people. Probably his name would have been forgotten or a byline in the history book. And Moses certainly had no way of anticipating how God was going to use him or that he would be revered by millions of people around the world and has been for millennia. And that's not why he did it. What he did, he did for the glory of God. And we're going to see his motivation tonight. We're going to see his choice. And we're also going to see his faith in action. And I trust that this will challenge you to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Timothy Jones' favorite verse. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And so I want to challenge us tonight from the word of God. You know, whenever there's a choice, we are, when we choose something by default, we are actually refusing something else. And we'll see that this is Moses' choice. He chose to refuse something in order to choose something else. We're going to see his motive, folks, and, and, and our motive ought to be, and I believe one of the motives you'll see in here is Moses' love for God. And then we're going to see that he walked by faith. And here's the wonderful thing. God is no respecter of persons. What he enabled Moses to do and to live this life this way, God, by his grace, can enable us. Matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, and, and he's referring to some specific um, events in the Old Testament. But I believe it would apply to all the Old Testament that these things are written for our admonition and for our learning. And so tonight, I believe we can receive instruction how we can walk by faith by looking at Moses' example. So let's read our text tonight, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. The Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was come two years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now that's a mouthful. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. Moses' choice, here it is. Here's the first thing he chose. He chose to refuse to be publicly identified and treated as Pharaoh's son. And think about that. Here he is, the officially adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to to refuse to be publicly identified or treated in that way. Folks, there's all kinds of respect, prestige, protection, and authority that would have gone along with that position just by being adopted into Pharaoh's family. He, He said, no, I do not value that so highly that I am willing to cling to that. But when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was choosing to not be treated in that way. That's a steep price to pay to walk by faith, by the way. He also stood in line to be a king. Did you realize that in Egypt, often there was more than one Pharaoh that ruled in Egypt? It is is possible that Moses could have been a Pharaoh, if not the leading Pharaoh in Egypt. But Moses refused that. 
Now stop and think with me for a minute because there's a point that I think sometimes we miss when we look at this passage. Well, how do you think Pharaoh's daughter felt when Moses made this choice? You see, there was that day when she came down to do the ceremonial uh, cleansing in the Nile River, which they worshipped as a god. She had her maidens going up and down the banks of the, of the Nile River to check for crocodiles. And there she sees in a little basket, there's a basket, and the maiden brings it. And when, when Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket, there is a Hebrew baby boy in there. Three-month-old baby boy crying his head off, apparently. And, uh, and you know what? She had compassion on him. She knew her father's edict that all Hebrew baby boys were to be killed. She risked her position and she risked her life in disobeying her father's command. Further, she officially adopted him in order to protect him. She saved Moses' life. As a matter of fact, Moses was given his name by Pharaoh's daughter. It is an Egyptian name, meaning I pulled him out of the water. She gave him, when he was weaned, she gave him the best education and the best circumstances, temporal circumstances, in that day that any kid could ever have. And Moses says, no, thank you. When he was come to years, when he came to a point of decision. And you know, sometimes Christians struggle with the temptation that kind of goes along these lines in our thinking. I owe so much to this person. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have such and such. Whether it's family or whether it's somebody who helped you get your first job or somebody that got you into a school that led to a great career or somebody maybe that even saved your life one time or that sort of a thing. And then sometimes, just like I'm sure Pharaoh's daughter had great plans for Moses and, and probably because she loved him and what, what she thought was best for him. And now he's kind of rejecting that. Don't you think that hurt? But what was Deuteronomy 6, 5 tell us? Matter of fact, Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that verse. He wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Deuteronomy 6, 5, he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And there are times when we have to choose to love, and we ought to always choose to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to please him and to step out by faith, even when it hurts people to whom we owe so much. I don't think that Moses was disrespecting his adopted mom. I think he loved her very much. I think he was deeply appreciative for all that she did. And I'm sure he knew to some extent how deeply it must have hurt her when he refused officially to be recognized as her son in the sense of standing in the line of the kings and of the position and the prestige and the power and the authority and the protection Everything that, that was encapsulated within that she was trying to give to him. And yet he had to love God. And he chose to love God. And to please God. And what he chose was a very difficult thing. He also refused the pleasures of sin. The Bible says that he chose esteeming, verse 26, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. In verse 25, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. These are choices that he's making. And he also chose to refuse the pleasures of sin. He saw that these pleasures of sin were temporary because his focus was on eternity. You know, he had access 
to any sin he wanted, including being worshipped as a god. The pharaohs were worshipped as gods. Those who were part of that lineage or stood in line to be a possible pharaoh. So maybe he was like, you know, an up-and-coming demigod or something. I don't know how they would have viewed him in Egypt, but uh, he certainly would have been revered as some form of deity. And man, you can excuse anything you want if you're a god. And you can justify anything to anybody. What's the point? The point is, humanly speaking, he could have gotten by with any sin he wanted as much as he wanted and could have justified himself because he would have said, hey, listen, I'm a god. Who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? Might be bad for you, but I'm a God. I can do what I want. Very interesting. Isn't that our culture, by the way, today? I'm my own God. I'm my own boss. I can do what I want. I'll determine what's right and wrong. I'll determine determine what God is really like, what my God is going to be like. Same thing. And Moses chose not to go there. But here's what he chose. He chose to suffer persecution and adversity with the people of God. But brothers and sisters in Christ, I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. And also in Matthew 5, Verses 11 and 12, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for, so, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Who were God's chosen people? Israel, Right? This is the nation of Israel. These are the Hebrews. So I'm going to stop tonight and I'm going to give you an answer to the question, how should Christians respond to the war between Israel and Hamas? And I'm going to answer it strictly from scriptures. And we're going to reason from the scriptures for just a moment. Here it is. Speaking to Israel, God says in Deuteronomy 14 and verse 12, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Catch this. I'm going to emphasize some words. Holy people is one of them. Unto the Lord thy God, as the Lord hath chosen thee to be a, here it is, peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the earth. Well, then the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, writes in 1 Peter 2, 19, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Sound familiar? A holy nation. Then, going on, a peculiar people. There it is again. So you see how that pe- the people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, they were God's chosen people. They were a holy nation. They were a peculiar people. And, and Peter says, now we who are saved, that's us. Therefore, we are directly linked with the people of Israel through Christ. As a matter of fact, study out Romans chapter 11, because there Paul says, and he uses the picture of grafting in a branch into a tree. And he's saying, look, you Gentiles, you who are saved, you are grafted into Israel, spiritually speaking. There is a direct, inseparable link between the church and Israel. Therefore, the church must support Israel. We need to be praying for Israel's safety and for peace. 
We need to be praying for God to give them victory. We need to be praying, most of all, souls will be saved. And that does not mean that God does not love the Hamas terrorists. He loves them. His shed blood is sufficient to cleanse them from their sin. His righteousness is enough to make them righteous in him. And they can have eternal life. So we need to pray for their salvation. And so many of those that are caught in the crossfire, both in the land of Israel and in Gaza, the gospel is for them. Let's pray that God would use this terrible, painful, destructive war in such a way that there will be eternal benefit and God will be eternally praised through the souls who were saved during this conflict. We must stand united with Israel. Now, that was first we saw Moses' choice. Now, number two, let's look at Moses' motive. Look, if you would with me, back in verse 26, esteeming, an interesting word, we're going to look at that, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Moses, Moses, esteeming, primarily, the primary definition is to lead. And then the figurative idea is to deem or to consider. So when you put it together, it means to place the highest value upon. So Moses chose, his motive was that he placed the very highest value upon suffering with the people of God. And he valued that more than enjoying the pleasures of sin or even just the pleasures and advantages of this temporal life for a season. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, but his motive was that he esteemed the very greatest riches to be to identify with the story of redemption. You see, Jesus the Messiah was prophesied to come through Abraham. Again, where do we see that? Genesis. Who wrote the book of Genesis through inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Moses did. It was Moses that penned the very first prophecy of Christ in Genesis 3.15, where the Bible talks about the serpent will bruise his heel and he will crush the serpent's head. That is a reference to redemption through the Messiah, the promised one. Moses would have written the story about how Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac on the altar and God stopped him and, and provided a substitute and through that, the Bible tells us here in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that Abraham received him or Messiah in a figure. That was an illustration of what Messiah would do. He would come to that same mountain range, Mount Calvary, and he would die on the cross for our sin. So Moses knew that Messiah would come through this nation of Israel. And by faith, he was identifying with the story of the redemption through Messiah. And he, he valued that as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. I was doing just a little bit of research. They, they estimate that the uh, Amenhotep III was probably the wealthiest pharaoh. And in U.S. dollars in today's economy, his, uh, his worth would be somewhere between four to six trillion dollars. Uh, King Tut, you know, you've seen that famous mask, the golden mask with the jewels in it. That mask alone is worth over $2 million, just in the materials, not including the fact that it is an ancient artifact and a work of art. Uh, his coffin, his gold coffin, 
is over, well over a million and a half dollars. But Moses said, you know what? Who cares about being buried in a gold coffin with a, with a death mask made out of gold and, and some jewels on it? Who cares about having, you know, so for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. So what if you have $6 trillion? What good is that going to do you the day you die? Absolutely no good. Unless, as a believer, of course, you have $6 trillion and you invest it in God's eternal kingdom through supporting missionaries and, and, uh, and Christian camps and Christian universities that are training young people for the ministry, etc., etc. But just strictly speaking, what's that money? What good is it going to do you? Absolutely none compared to the treasure that you can lay up in heaven. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. By the way, Jesus is not forbidding there or saying that it is sin to invest in a 403B or 401K or a Roth IRA or anything like that. We're to be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. But what he is saying is don't hoard it up and don't place your dependence on money. Don't live your whole life. Young people, don't make your decision about what you're going to study in college based on how good of a living you're going to get out of it. Don't make your decisions based on money. A uh, uh, pastor friend of mine uh, has often said, I've never made a major decision based strictly on money. He said, I go to God's word. I look for God's will. And I've never made or allowed money to influence any major decision that I have ever made. And I think there's wisdom in that. Egypt was the wealthiest, most powerful nation at that time. Remember this, when we're talking about the Pharaoh's wealth. Do you remember when there were the seven years of famine and plenty that Joseph saw in the dream? And when Joseph interpreted the dream, he gave a little bit of counsel to Pharaoh, which is kind of interesting because he'd just come out of prison. He said, I'm counseling you this. And Pharaoh gave him his full attention. You need somebody that's going to be able to manage this and prepare in the seven good years for the seven years of famine that are coming. And Pharaoh said, thou art the man, basically. And so Pharaoh did, or Joseph did for Pharaoh. Remember when the famine came, what happened? The people came and they gave him all their money. So he had all of, all, he had all of the, all the wealth, okay, as far as that's concerned. Then they came the next year, said, we don't have anything. Well, whatever livestock they had left, he took it in exchange for the grain that they had laid up in that seven years because of jo- Joseph's planning. And then the next year they came back and they said, we're out, we have no money. We don't have any animals to trade. He said, give me your land. And so all the land became the pharaohs. And then the next year when they came back, the Egyptians sold themselves as slaves to the pharaoh. Pharaoh literally owned everything in Egypt. And yet that did not become part of Moses' consideration when he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Why? Because he so highly valued being, being blessed of God and honored with God to suffer affliction with the people of God because in suffering affliction with the people of God, he had the wonderful blessing of being part of the story of Messiah's redemption. And that was eternal Folks, we looked at this morning from Acts chapter 14 that even though we know we should expect that there's going to be opposition and we're going to be maligned and, and public opinion is going to be slanted against us and we can suffer persecution, even people may someday seek to, to kill us just like they were seeking to stone Paul and Barnabas. 
Yet Paul and Barnabas continued faithfully and I believe joyfully proclaiming the gospel and God was still working through them. And in spite of that fact, why? Folks, they weren't doing it for a paycheck. They certainly weren't doing it for popularity. They were doing it to bring glory to God and fulfill the mission that he had placed on them. As a matter of fact, Moses' focus turned away from everything else. Look back with me. This is a very important phrase. He had respect unto the recompense of the word, of the reward. The word respect there, it literally means to look away from. The idea is that he looked away from everything else and he focused. He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He was focusing on the eternal reward. And everything else was in the peripheral. I could give a hunting illustration here, but I don't think I'll do that tonight. But there are other ways in which you become so focused that everything else is peripheral. You know, um, there have been times when Krista's been practicing the piano or Ivy's been playing the piano or practicing something and I'll sneak up behind them and they are so focused I'm practicing that I can scare the daylights out of them, right? Because everything else is become so peripheral and they're so focused on that, they're not paying attention to anything else. I can just scare them to half to death. It's great. So I don't do it very often because every time I do, I know I'm risking my own life a little bit. But the idea here is that, look, Moses, did, did Moses have to lead the children of, of Israel out of Egypt? Yeah, we're going to look in a minute at, at Moses' faith in action. Were there real life things and concerns that Moses had to deal with. Yes, but he kept those in the peripheral. Those were not his main focus. His main focus was on the eternal. You know, somebody has said, some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. I think that's backwards. I think there are too many Christians that are so temporally minded, they're not being of any eternal good. And I'm not saying that that's anybody present here tonight. But if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about that, then listen. But at least it should be a warning shot across the bow that, hey, listen, am I becoming so focused on finances or health or relationships or this struggle or that thing or this opportunity or whatever, building my career or building my business or any, there's any number of things to where we are being distracted from what is most important. Moses had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now let's look at Moses' faith in action. Look at this. By faith, he forsook Egypt, this is verse 27, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Man, Moses left Egypt behind, and he did not fear the king because he looked to God. By the time Moses had left Egypt, Moses had been talking with God. Remember the burning bush on the backside of the, of the wilderness? And God spoke to Moses. God commissioned Moses. As a matter of fact, when God said to Moses, Moses, you're going to lead my people to uh, Israel. Matter of fact, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And what does Moses say? He says, Lord, I said this, this, stutter, right? I, 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 just, I just fumble with my words. I'm not a public speaker. I can't do this. And God says, all right, I'll take care of that excuse. Here comes Aaron, your brother. He'll be your mouthpiece for you. And, 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 and Moses says, when I go to Pharaoh and I say, God says, let my people go, what name do I use? And God says, I am that I am. And God answered everyone, patiently answered every one of Moses' questions. He met every one of his reservations. And Moses then obeyed. 
by faith. But folks, just because we walk by faith doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that there's never an internal struggle or that there is never a temptation to doubt or to hold back. And yet Moses had heard the voice of God. He had talked with God. As a matter of fact, think of that. I mean, God, and, and how gracious God is. Remember when God says, hey, Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses, that's a rod. He said, throw it down. Moses threw it down and became a serpent. He says, Moses, pick it up. Moses said, no, Lord's going to bite me. No, we don't know that, right? What does Moses do? He stoops down, he picks it up. What happened? It became a rod again. So God was gracious to give him a little trial run before he went into Pharaoh because what did God tell Moses to do before Pharaoh is a sign that this was God's message, throw down your rod and it became a serpent. And then God kept telling him to do these things and he saw God do these plagues in Egypt, these miracles. Things that cannot be explained other than that God Almighty did them. So that when it was time for him to leave, he knew he served a mighty God that was mightier than Pharaoh. So he did not have to fear the face of man because he feared the face of God. You know, I think there's a couple of things here. I think there was a great comfort in Moses knowing that God's presence was with him. And I think there was also a great motivation of accountability, knowing that God was watching him. God commissioned him. Now God wanted him to fulfill it. God was with him. And God through him was going to work miraculous things. And so Moses stepped out by faith, leaving Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Uh, when I first came here to pastor, I preached through a series I don't think it was the first series I did, but it was one of the first ones. And it was a series of messages on fear. And one of the phrases that I repeated was choose faith over fear. And that's exactly what Moses did here. And you know, some of you, the struggle that it is to choose faith over fear. And that just because you choose faith over fear doesn't mean that the, that the fear just somehow mysteriously vanishes like a mist in the thin air and you never worry about that again. It is a constant battle. Folks, we don't jump by faith, right? We walk by faith. Amen. And every time we walk, there's gravity and there's the forces that drag us back, but we take, keep taking steps by faith and we choose faith over fear. In 2 Kings 6, verses 15 to 17, the Bible relates this story and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Servant of the Lord wakes up, man. He hasn't had his first cup of coffee yet. He's not completely awake. He goes out to get a breath of fresh air while the coffee is brewing. And as he begins to rub the sand out of his eyes, he sees this host that's surrounding the series. And he runs to Elisha. He goes, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? He's panicked. And Elisha, the man of faith, said, Lord, would you open his eyes so we could see the real picture? And the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw that the enemy that was surrounding them was surrounded by the Lord's army. How's that for comfort and confidence? 
And you know, when we are looking through eyes of faith at our circumstances, we will see the armies and the chariots and the horses of fire and God's army. And we will know, even though we may not feel or sense God's presence, he has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And God cannot lie. He keeps his promises and he is with you. And God will never allow you to go through a testing without also giving you a way to victory. Moses obeyed God's instructions and he heeded God's warning. Look back with me. If you would, in verse 28, through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And God said, all right, here comes the last one. Here comes the plague, and Pharaoh's going to let you go. Here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to kill every firstborn son in every household in the whole land of Egypt, except those who take a lamb that has no blemishes and kill the lamb. And collect the blood and take branches of hyssop and paint the doorposts with the blood. And when the death angel passes through the land of Egypt, he will pass over that house and spare the firstborn child, the firstborn son in that home. Moses believed God. He knew what God said God would do. And so he obeyed. And because he believed God and obeyed, it encouraged all of the Israelites to believe God and to obey. And their children were spared while the Egyptians suffered great loss. He believed God. He obeyed God. He kept the Passover. And then look, if you would, in the next verse, look in verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. Moses trusted God in an impossible circumstance and he worked a miraculous deliverance. Matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 14, there between two mountain ranges, there are cities that, that used to sit on those mountain ranges. There's the Red Sea behind them or in front of them, depending on your perspective. And there were these two mountain ranges that kind of funneled in like this. And there's the nation of Israel kind of in this triangle area right there. And guess what happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. He's coming after them. And as he's coming after them, they begin to see this host of the Egyptians. I mean, what else could cast up such a great cloud of dust at such a great distance? And the people begin to panic. And what does Moses say? He says, hey, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Lord. I said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And you know what the Lord says to Moses? He says, why are you standing here? Why are you still calling to me? Tell the people to move forward. Now, forward wasn't towards the Egyptian army. It was towards what? The Red Sea. Had God already a part of the Red Sea when he told Moses that? Uh-uh. He says, tell the people to start walking towards the Red Sea. That's faith. This looks impossible. But God says, go that way. Well, Lord, uh, there's a Red Sea. We're going to drown. No, you won't. And then when the people start to march forward, then God says, all right, Moses, Raise up your rod over the Red Sea. And God parted the waters. And the people walked through by dry land. And the Egyptians tried it. God closed the waters in over them and drowned their enemy. And gave them a great deliverance. Because God, Moses trusted God in an impossible circumstance. And God worked a miracle. So I've got three questions for you tonight. 
based on what we've seen in the character of Moses, his choices, his motives, and his faith in action. Are our choices and motivations based on our faith in God and his words? Moses wasn't being presumptuous here. He was going by the very word of God. He was going based on God, what God told him. Second, is our focus directed away from everything else that distracts us and placed on God? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. May God give us a spiritual, eternal perspective on this life. And then are we living out our faith in courageous obedience? Man, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He kept the Passover, the Passover, the sprinkling of blood. He believed that the death angel would destroy the firstborn if they did not obey. And he led them out and then through the way of the Red Sea, God worked a great deliverance because Moses, by faith, obeyed. And folks, if our motives are faith in God, we believe God, we take him at his word, we're living not for the temporal, our esteem, our value, our focus is placed on God and on eternity. When we live and view this entire temporal life through an eternal lens, God will work great miracles that bring him the glory. But folks, sometimes it's hard to make these choices, isn't it? It's easy for us in our convenient, comfortable culture to not choose to suffer affliction with the people of God, but to enjoy the conveniences, the indulgences, yea, the sins that last only for a season. May God help us to refuse those. May God help us to make choices based on the eternal, not the temporal. I believe it was Jim Elliott, might have been Nate Saint. I can't remember which one. Was it Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose? He sacrificed his life for the sake of the gospel as a missionary in South America. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, Don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. There's one driving thought that motivates my life, not just in ministry, but as a husband, as a dad, as a Christian. The motivating thought of my life that seems to supersede all other thoughts is that someday I'm gonna stand before Jesus Christ. Romans 14 and verse 12, so then every one of us, singular, shall give account of himself, singular, to God. And I'm going to look into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation, the Bible describes them as eyes as of a flame of fire. It means that it burns through and discerns. All the facade melts away before those piercing gaze of Jesus' eyes into the very depths of my soul. For all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And right above those blazing eyes, I'm going to see the scars from the crown of thorns. 
And when I look, I will see his riven side. And when in love, he embraces me and welcomes me into heaven, I will see the nail-pierced hands. And when I look down at my feet, so overwhelmed and how undeserving I am, I'm going to see his feet that were pierced for my sin. And then Jesus and I are going to have an interview. And I want to be able to express my love to him by being able to give an account, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus is the truth. You know what? If I am not a faithful servant, if the summation of my life according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a lot more haywood and stubble than gold, silver, and precious stones, if I've not been a faithful steward of the gospel, if, not, if I have not been faithful to the work of the Holy Spirit, if I've not been tender and responsive to God's working in my life, I will not hear Jesus say, thou good and faithful servant. And if you've ever really, really worked hard to please a music teacher or a coach or a boss, and you knew that when they said to you, good job, I'm proud of you, that they meant it, and you remember how that would motivate you to try even harder, to do even better, okay, multiply that by infinity. And that ought to be our passion, that when we stand before Jesus Christ, that we will hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, to see a smile on his face of pleasure and satisfaction because of the way that we lived. That's what drives me. And I hope it drives you. And it ought to be something that transforms our lives so that we walk by faith and not by sight. So that we make those hard choices. So that our faith is not one merely of theory or of speech, but of action. And that our vision of eternity motivates our very existence. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Before we pray, I just want to give you an opportunity right now, just for a quiet moment, to consider. And uh, Brother Steve, if you could lead the closing hymn in just a minute. I think it's very appropriate. You'll understand what I mean when you sing it. Pay attention to the words that you're singing as we sing our dismissal song in just a moment. But would you just right now take this moment of quiet to listen in the Holy Spirit and respond to the truth of his words he's spoken to you tonight. Our Father, I'm